The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the U.S. Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause, and we are going to be talking about gut health, which is something that we've kind of dodged along, talked a bit about microbiomes and the like, but there's a lot more going on with our gut as we go through perimenopause. So I am absolutely thrilled to be joined today by Emily Foster, RD. She is a nutritionist. She's a registered dietitian and she has the most awesome name for her business, which is called A Gutsy Menopause. Welcome to the show. Oh, Emily. thank you so much for having me, Clarissa. And yeah, I was quite, um, I, I'm quite fond of the name myself. So, uh, so I'm glad you like it. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> oh, it's, I, I'm so good. And I think, you know, we really dig deep into some of these gut health issues, which I believe, Emily, are much more common than we talk about out there in the social media world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the menopause charity did a uh, did a, a bit of research a while ago, and they say that 90% of women throughout menopause are, are going to experience symptoms. And I think what a lot of people don't necessarily think of as symptoms, because they're not really listed as the most common, but acid reflux is really common. Bloating is very, very common. Constipation, even some of my clients come to me with diarrhea. I mean, there are really, I have I have some figures here, like 64%, um, I did a little survey a while back uh, with my, my newsletter list and my Instagram account, about 100 women responded. And 64% of them had bloating, gas, and wind that was uncomfortable. 49% had acid reflux or indigestion, 42% suffered with chronic constipation, and 34% were dealing with diarrhea. So, I mean, those are huge numbers. I have a obviously a niche in gut health, yeah. so it's going to be a bit higher, but those are really big mm. numbers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, they are. They're huge numbers. And I can attest to having had acid reflux that I couldn't understand where it came from. I was mid-perimenopause 
and I certainly think that I was under a lot of pressure mm-hmm. and then when I'd have times when I'd let that pressure valve off a bit whoa every Christmas <laughs> god you know yeah <laughs> I used to wonder where it came from and and then now with time it has kind of settled mm-hmm. but it's you know it's not been that pleasant no. but those are some of the common symptoms that you mentioned there but why is that happening, Emily? That's yeah, the it's a really good question. So we know, um, we know, obviously, during perimenopause, you know, our estrogen and our progesterone doesn't automatically just decline to zero, you know, it fluctuates. And that's why traditionally with, um, I mean, I'm not going to get into the in the mechanics of it, but we know that, you know, you can't just do a one-off blood test mm-hmm. to see if you're entering into menopause, right? So that fluctuation of hormones, it's not the same, but it's similar to why perhaps sometimes women in pregnancy experience some gut challenges because their hormones are fluctuating, they're changing. Um, same thing around, a lot of women come to me and they had challenges um, when they were a bit younger with their periods, they would maybe have IBS symptoms that flared up around their period. And all of that is hormone related. And we know actually that IBS is significantly more common in women than it is in men. And part of that is thought to be because of sex hormones. So predominantly estrogen and and progesterone. So as those things fluctuate, really, I would say the, the probably the biggest thing that happens is a change in what we call gut transit time. So uh, basically what we read is from mouth to the toilet, right? How quickly things move through. And that does change when our hormones shift. And it will change too if women are taking HRT, predominantly if they're taking oral types of HRT, if it's localized, Mm -hmm. it tends to be, you know, less of an issue. But yeah, so that's why these things are happening is really the the fluctuation in those hormones. And and certainly depending on what you're experiencing, whether it's reflux, or whether it's constipation, or whether it's diarrhea, I mean, the, the the reasons are going to be slightly different. But in essence, it's because our hormones are fluctuating. um, And that has a direct impact, particularly on our gut transit time, but on other things like levels of cortisol, which I'm sure you've talked about on your podcast before being related to stress. Uh, Woohoo, Christmas time, as you were mentioning before in your acid reflux flare ups. So that's predominantly why it's happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is quite a a sort of, yes, it's hormonal. So does that mean that our gut transit times are quicker or slower or is it It's a good question. So it is going to depend a little bit on on the individual. But if we look at due to the sex hormones, predominantly estrogen, when are, so there's a couple of things. So when estrogen declines, technically, actually, let's start from the beginning. So in general, women tend to have slower transit times than men. However, during mm-hmm. menopause, when our estrogen starts to decline, what and that, that's thought, thought to be we're supposed to have slower transit times because of the sort of estrogen that we have. And as our estrogen starts to decline, what we should expect to happen is that our systems start to speed up a little bit. But for whatever reason in menopause, that mm-hmm. doesn't seem to happen. We actually see a bit of a slow Um, And that can in turn cause problems like acid reflux because things are staying in our stomach a bit longer, giving them a a longer Mm -hmm. chance to come back up. But also if we think of what, what slower gut transit times can mean, 
is that if food is moving through our digestive tract a bit slower, then it leaves longer for it to ferment and we can end up with some, you know, bloating or we can end up with things like gas uh, and wind, which, you know, people don't like to talk about, but it can be very uncomfortable. Um, also very embarrassing, okay. right? Uh, my husband always says the, 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 um, the remedy for this is just buy a dog and blame it on the dog, uh, which is not particularly helpful. <laughs> but yeah, so we don't, we do, see like sort of um not a very intuitive thing happening around the menopause and we also see that when women take estrogen predominantly uh, oral versions of hrt for estrogen that we do see um we do see women complaining quite a bit about acid reflux there as well so it's a bit of a catch-22 but we do see in general gut transit time slow but then like you said clarissa over time things tend to level out and those gut symptoms do dissipate yes. but that sort of six-year management period can be really challenging for women and anyone going through the menopause yeah really yeah. because yeah absolutely because obviously i mean these things are not just you know like we said gas and blame it on the dog i mean they're pa they're, they're really painful yeah, they're really uncomfortable yeah. yeah. And also things yeah. like, you know, you mentioned acid reflux. So estrogen also has an effect on um, the bicarbonate. So the, the sort of neutralizing part of the acid in our stomach. And so when that is no longer there, we can put ourselves at higher risk for acid reflux as well. So there's pieces like that involved too. It's a whole, it's a really interesting area, uh, but, but that those are some of the things that, <laughs> it, that happen. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, estrogen is also involved with our sort of um, our muscle integrity. So yes. understand that sometimes you can get kind of acid coming up um, that is related to the fact that, you know, some of your muscle isn't as strong. The muscles on the outside of your body are kind of not... Yeah strong then inside there's things like that going on yeah. as well am I am I right yeah you, you are absolutely correct and and that happens in our pelvic floor as well so often a lot of women who come to me who are struggling with chronic or long-term constipation um, they often I'll, I'll ask them to go see a pelvic floor physiotherapist because they have a really big role in actually helping our muscles to, to regulate. Um, and so they can be really helpful. But part of that is that estrogen helps keep that muscle integrity. Um, and if the pelvic floor starts to weaken, then it becomes more difficult to control our bowel movements as well. So that can uh, just as much as it can influence the esophagus, it can affect um, our lower bowel as well. Fun stuff. Yeah, and we've had we've had Esther. Yeah, no, we've had Esther on, and she's a she's her her episode is coming in quite closely with yours, and she's all about pelvic floors. Yes. So it's really interesting that it's because we're a whole system. We're not just little bits and pieces. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I don't know if you've had anyone on to talk about the gut brain access or the gut microbiome or things like that, but obviously we know the research is is you know new and and fast and coming in all of the time and. You know, I think there are so many things that we don't yet know, and particularly women's health is so, um, you know, it's not very well researched. And I think that that's changing and that's great. And there was a really big yeah. menopause study just done by Zoe. Um, and uh, yes. they have been, you know, really, they, they did a really big study uh, on, on different parts of diet and menopause. So, you know, it's coming, but I think, um, where was I going with that? I think basically 
there are so many things that we don't yet know, but what we do know is that hormones can absolutely impact the gut and menopause. And there are some things that you can do about it and, you know, don't lose hope because things do level, level out, but to manage that, you know, six years, sometimes more longer year period for, um, for going through menopause can be really challenging. Mm. It can be. So that's a really good segue into what are some of the things that women can actually do to start to manage these gut issues beyond sort of eating endless amounts of PPIs, which isn't necessarily the best solution. No, I think like, I guess I'll break it down to a couple of uh, those percentages that I gave you ahead of time. So, um, or at the beginning of the episode, so reflux is very common. So I think we'll talk a little bit about reflux. Let's talk a little bit about constipation. Yeah. And then if you have any others that you want me to touch on, uh, you know, I'm happy to uh, to dive into those. I'll start with reflux because I think you're right. I think it is very common. Yeah. And a lot of women yes. won't necessarily attribute it to perimenopause. And to be quite honest, they might be in midlife mm-hmm. and it might have nothing to do with their hormones, but a lot to do with their stress levels or yeah. other things going on in the body. And I think the first thing I want to start with before I talk a little bit about some of these challenges that that we often have is that yes these are all you know these symptoms can or these uh, conditions can all be related to the menopause but they can just as easily not be and so i just want to give a caveat here that if these symptoms yes. have come on and they're quite sudden or they've changed in intensity or frequency for you mm-hmm. it is really important you have a chat with your doctor because we we still want to rule out other things. And it's like, you know, women often come to me and say, you know, I've had all these issues and I've been diagnosed with just, and there's air quotes there, just IBS. And that's awful. And I've had that experience myself as well. Just IBS. Yeah. But just, yes. Oh, no solution to that one. Just, just exactly. Yeah. But, but, but you're right, Emily. I mean, if we're in suddenly in a lot of pain, it is important to go and maybe even get referred as I did. I had a gastro, gastroscopy. Yeah. I'm not sure what it's called. It yeah. was a horrible yeah. gastroscopy. It wasn't a very it's nice not. experience, no. but, but it's not painful. It's just a bit yucky. Um, but, but obviously then we're able to rule out that it isn't. Absolutely something more serious that it's not cancer or some other inflammation in the in the system that needs a different form of treatment absolutely and i think as well you know having had the gastroscopy myself you're right it isn't it isn't comfortable but the reality is i think what those tests like colonoscopies uh, upper endoscopies which is you know the gastroscopy that basically guys what we're talking about is a camera down your throat or a camera um going in uh to your um large intestine so you know they're not pleasant things but i think the reality is we need to rule things out and and also there's a lot of stress that can come if these symptoms continue to happen and you haven't had them looked at and that can in turn that stress not knowing what those symptoms maybe really are can Mm -hmm. also um, affect the symptoms themselves so if you're worried about where you know if your acid reflux might be stomach cancer uh, that's not going to help your stress levels so getting those checked out are important for sure exactly Um, should we talk about reflux Let's talk about reflux because let's learn more about this not so pleasant and often not much of a solution from your doctor. No. Kind of. Yeah. And I think as well, a lot of doctors will tell you, and don't get me wrong. I'm not, 
Um, I'm not slighting GPs or doctors at all here. Yeah. Obviously, I'm Canadian, so I, t- I tend to say doctor before GP, but we're here in the UK. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, well, whatever yeah. <laughs> whatever word resonates with you. But I think, you know, there are, it's like any profession. There are great doctors and there are not so great doctors. There are great nutritionists. There are not yeah. so great nutritionists. So I just want to caveat with that yeah. because I think, you know, you can have a yeah, fantastic yeah. GP who really helps. But I think a lot of doctors are, are, are actually quite quick to say, I don't want to put you on any medication yet. I want you to try and manage it with diet and exercise. And then maybe the patient gets a leaflet. We walk away and we think, okay, all this is telling me is don't eat three to four hours before bedtime and uh, prop myself up on three pillows before I go to bed at night. And you just look at that and you think, is this, is that all there is? Is this what I have to do to manage this for the rest of my life? Right. And so, Oh, I had a better one. I had a better one there, Emily. He said to me, don't eat any nuts or seeds. What? That was his, that was the gastroenterologist advice to me. Uh, uh, don't eat any nuts or seeds and um, eat PPIs for yeah. a year. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, that was it. And it's, Thanks. And I went. I don't, I don't think, think so. so. No, thank you. That's right. And you know the funny thing is, isn't it, is that there will be. I mean, what I hear in my clinic is so funny. There are so many different stories from patients. I mean, you. I mean, I'm sure you can believe, right? But. Yeah. So depending, like we were just saying, depending on, on how your doctor is or what they think is the best thing for you, um, they will suggest something. But basically what, what I want to start off by saying is that, you know, PPIs and um, other medications that are often prescribed, whether it's Gaviscon or whether it's something else, um, it doesn't mean that you failed. And I'm not saying that that's the first thing that you should go to, or that if you've done, if you have to take those medications that, you know, you've got to take them for the rest of your life. What I want to say is there are some situations where if your acid reflux has really got, you know, if it's really out of control, if you've let it, you can, you can imagine, right? If you've had acid reflux for even a couple of weeks, a couple of months, your esophagus is going to get really bothered and inflamed. And it just makes that, whereas maybe if you were getting reflux every so often, you could cope with it. But after over a period of time, you are dealing with inflammation. And so sometimes those medications are what we need to help bring them back under control. But certainly what I work with a lot of my clients with is to make sure that those aren't a long-term solution. And I think that's the key there. So it depends on where you're at um, and what other medical conditions you have. But in terms of lifestyle, um, that, that not eating three to four hours before bed isn't bad advice. Because if we think if we think really intuitively about acid reflux, when we're lying down, it's much easier for the contents of our stomach to come back up and bother our esophagus. But what I will say is that that's all well and good. But what if you eat three to four hours prior to go before going to bed, and then you get to bed and you're hungry? Well, you're not going to sleep very well then either. And so one of the big things I, yeah. I tell my clients is to really make sure that, that that last meal you're having before going to bed is a really good balance of both carbohydrates. So that's your grains, your starches, um, vegetables really following under that category as well. So a good balance of carbohydrates, particularly high fiber and yes. protein. So your chicken, your fish, your plant-based proteins, so nuts, seeds, um, beans. And the reason is, is because carbohydrates help us to feel full quickly, but protein and fiber help us to feel full for longer. So that combination of 
the carbohydrates and the protein make sure that if we're eating a little bit further away from bedtime, that actually we're going to make sure that when we do get to bedtime, we're not hungry. And then we're having a snack. And then exactly. that's the exact opposite of what we were trying to do. So does that make sense? Is that yeah. is that helpful, do you think? The, I think that's really helpful, actually. Yes, it's, it's, it's finding what works Absolutely. for you. And I think that sort of finding that kind of little snack, if you're someone who's starving at three in the morning, that's going to wake yeah. you up. It's going to get your system racing adrenaline cortisol saying oh my god mobilize sugar stores into the into the bloodstream you become like you know, the terminator I'm, I'm at three in the flight. morning <laughs> it's not good <laughs> yeah but you don't which you don't want to no. be doing at no. all <laughs> no um no. some other things there slowing down a lot of people uh, forget that actually you know we need to take time to chew our food allow you know digestion starts in the mouth for carbohydrates our saliva starts to help break that down. And so you need to give your body a chance to actually digest things properly. And that is hard in a society where we are constantly on the go. And I mean, have you experienced that? Has that been something you've struggled with at all, Carissa? Not really, because I'm a bit... Rollercoaster prices, supply chain glitches, political unease. They do their best to wreck my business plans. With so many unknowns, how do I know I'm making the right decisions? Aon helps me stay on top of things. They have expert points of view on volatility from around the world, paired with local insight that helps me get back on solid ground. Better decisions. Aon. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the best ever Big Mac burger. Take it away, Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, there's more special sauce in every bite. Rubble, rubble. He said, rubble, rubble. Rubble, rubble. Rubble, rubble indeed, my friend. Try the juicier Big Mac and get 20% off any purchase of $10 or more. Only on the app. Comparison to prior classic burgers, limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid once per day. Excludes tax. Must be opted into rewards. I'm a bit anal. You know, I tend to eat <laughs> meals at set <laughs> Sorry, right? I've always That's been right. like that. I was brought up to be sure, like sure. that, you know. So I've always been breakfast, lunch, dinner, yeah. you know. Uh, and so I'm, I'm just. That's the way my life has been structured. But, but my husband, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised. He has Crohn's. He should not be doing yeah. what he's doing. But you know, he's, and I see that with women I worked mm-hmm. with, how erratic their eating habits were. And I did a lot of research when I worked in in business on women's eating habits, this eating on the go, muffin and coffee when you get to the office, eating a handful of something, skipping lunch, eating, you know, a Snickers bar at three o'clock, all this very um, patchy eating behavior. And then they have quite often a lot of issues with their guts. They have issues with weight. They have issues with their thyroid Mm and stress and this kind of stressful on the go and not very controlled eating behavior has a hundred percent been, you know, a, a, an underlying factor. Yeah. Here. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, as you mentioned, a regular eating pattern is really important, but particularly thinking about the amount of time it takes you to eat. So even if you're having regular meal patterns, if you're eating very quickly, it can allow more air into our digestive tract and that can lead to bloating, gas, but it can yeah. also, um, you know, make indig- you know make indigestion more common as well. So oftentimes I'll tell people, you know, if you are a really quick eater and I am terrible for this, set an alarm on your phone for something like 20 minutes, start with 15 if 20 sounds like too much for you and do not get up even if you have finished eating do not get up from the table until that alarm has gone off (laughs) because we're so conditioned just to eat get up go and actually we just need time to sit down a from a stress perspective but b to give ourselves a chance to actually chew digest and associate eating with a really positive and i was gonna say enjoyful um you know joyful experience so that is really important as well yes yeah yeah Yes. Yeah. To eat and to eat a little bit slower, as you said, possibly trying to sit at the table rather than this eating in your car and eating at your desk, which is, I have to say, I live here in Sweden and people don't eat at their desk, but my God, people did that in in Australia when I was living there. They were like, eat, eat continually their meals at their desk while you're still typing emails and so there's there's no focus on what you're eating how much you're eating how fast you're eating and there yeah it's really really important and there there's um an exercise that I often do with patients called um oh gosh, uh, called the um, hunger scale, sorry. And basically it goes from zero to 10. And what I ask people to do is before they eat, sit down, just take the chance. And this is going to really, everybody, this is going to help with any gut issue that you have. I think for some for some mm-hmm. gut issues, particularly more when your gut is sped up, so things like diarrhea, uh, people are really stressed out around eating times because they're concerned that then that's going to trigger yes. maybe an IBS flare up or, or some sort of symptom. So what I always ask people to do, and I'm really big on this in my practice, is just take a moment for mindfulness. Put your feet flat on the floor. Take four seconds mm-hmm. to breathe in. Hold four seconds to breathe out. Do that about three or four times before you sit down to eat or right before you decide you're going to eat. And just check in with yourself from a scale of zero to 10. How hungry are you? Zero being I am absolutely starving. I'm in pain. I feel so much hunger to 10 being I am absolutely stuffed. This is Christmas or for North America, this is Thanksgiving dinner and I am about (laughs) to burst. And none of those things, what I, what I always emphasize here is that none of these things are right or wrong. I don't want to bring any judgment, but I just want to make people more aware of their bodies. Just check in. How hungry are you? And maybe record it because what people seem to notice is they go back and they look and there's a pattern. You know, every lunchtime, like you said, Clarissa, if people are eating at the desk, they are starving or, you know, they've waited till three o'clock because that's the only chance they've had to eat. And so um, one of the things, Mm -hmm. not just with reflux, but with any gut challenge that you're experiencing, that hunger scale, checking in before you eat, grounding yourself, Mm -hmm. and then checking in when you're finished eating as well. um, How hungry or full are you? Are you still a little bit hungry? Are you stuffed? Doesn't matter, but just bringing Mm -hmm. awareness back into our bodies can be really, really helpful um, for when you're having uh, gut challenges, but even when not. Yeah, definitely. I think that being aware, and I mean, there was 
really great work done years and years ago with uh, at Oxford University around satiety and getting to sort of 80% satiety was what they were trying to train people from a neuroscience perspective to mm-hmm. do because then you'd actually had enough food but you weren't going over the limit over the limit so yeah I remember that as well but definitely as a mindfulness practitioner myself I'm big on I'm not a mindful eating expert but that slowing down giving a chance to experience your food is is a time in the day that I wish all of us could take you know from joy from enjoyment just to give yourself 15 20 minutes to enjoy your meal without a screen Mm -hmm. is a pretty good idea (laughs) yeah yeah and it's often um you know underestimated how much how much that can really impact your symptoms um, you know, I'm sure as being a mindful yes. practitioner, you, you, you're, you're probably, you know, I'm preaching to the converted here, but it really makes such a, you know, our minds are so connected with our guts and anything that we can do to calm the mind, whether it's around meal times or not, is going to be incredibly helpful for gut issues. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, as you said earlier, with the more we get to understand between the gut and the brain connection, and the more we understand how inflammatory stress mm-hmm. is, then we know that clearly dialing down your stress will help manage your body's inflammation. And if guts and brains are connected, there must be, I hope that we'll have some brilliant science evidence <laughs> into the future, just how, because we, we're kind of working on what we kind of Absolutely. know rather than really know yeah. with data, would suggest that, you know, reducing inflammation, reducing stress reduces inflammation, which, you know, we know, we know from observation helps gut issues. So I think there is, there's clear links that we will have more and more to uncover as time goes Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Um, I have one more tip for general gut health that I think will be yes. helpful if, if you're okay with me sharing it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. oh yeah. All right. Um, the biggest thing I wanted to say <laughs> is that, and this is what we really do as nutritionists and dietitians is we really help people to be their own detectives. So the reality is, you know, nutrition is such a personalized thing. And so like you were saying before, is it all individual or will these things happen to everybody? Will everybody experience reflux because of changing estrogen? Um, you know, no, some will, some won't. Uh, But regardless of whatever gut challenge you're experiencing, whether it's bloating, whether it's constipation, whether it's diarrhea, whether it's reflux, the biggest thing we can tell you to do is try and be your own detective. So food symptom diaries are huge Mm -hmm. in my practice. So really trying to hone in on what is it that particularly causes some challenges for you in the food department. Mm -hmm. So it could be something like, you know, there are lots of apps that do this. So there's um, my symptoms, there's several others. If you, if you just look on whatever app store is your favorite, you will find some sort of food symptom diary on there. (laughs) It doesn't matter to me what you choose to use could be pen and paper, but really taking the time maybe over the run of a week and writing down what it is that you've had to eat and then leaving Mm. space and what time you've eaten those foods and don't forget about drinks either they're super important whether they're alcoholic or not very important to put in there yeah and then leaving room to say if you've had any symptoms and marking down what time you had those symptoms because oftentimes people think that 
you know, if I eat something and then within the hour, I don't get any symptoms that my, that that's not related to food. But the reality is, I think the Zoe study that I was just talking about, they did um, a study called predict yeah. and they said the average transit time. So again, moving from our, our, our mouth into the toilet, yes. no, it's not such a pleasant thing. Um, but they said, I think around 39 hours was an <laughs> on average gut transit time. Yeah. So if we think of that, that's quite yeah, a while. That's about right. Yeah. So I, yeah. yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, particular foods take longer to digest than Absolutely. others. So, you know, you know, so if your diet is particularly high in, say, fats, and they can take a lot of time to work through your system. So, yeah, 39, 39 hours. I mean, sure, if it's just sugar and quickly sugar, it's through the system fast. But, you know, and even fiber, it takes time to move through the system, spends a lot of time. If you go back to your biology <laughs> lessons, folks, you know, we learned something about that, you know, about how much time things sit in the lower intestines in particular before they kind of finally come out the body. So, yeah, yeah. 39 hours doesn't surprise me. I was going to say at least two, one to two yeah. days. And it really but, yeah, varies. Maybe even as much as, as well. So it could be a lot quicker for some. It could be a lot slower for others. And so, um, you know, taking that that 39 hours with a grain of salt, I guess, really don't stress out if you time yourself and you think that you're you're quicker or, or longer than that. But But being a detective can really, you know, especially when those symptoms first start, um, can be really helpful. So those food symptom diaries and being a detective around, you know, really getting curious, trying not to control the symptoms because the more we try to yeah. control the symptoms, uh, it's like you, you, there's that, that saying where you can, you know, you can hold the butterfly in your hand, but if you try and really hold on to it, you crush the butterfly. Uh, we don't want to crush the butterfly. We don't want to make our symptoms worse. And so we just want to get, yeah. instead of trying to control yeah. those symptoms, we want to approach it with, curiosity become that detective and really try and dig in as to what yes. might be causing some of your challenges and then being able to share that with a healthcare professional uh, can give them a lot of insight and help you and they can help you a lot faster if that's something that you've done yeah yeah definitely i wanted to turn quickly and just talk a little bit about constipation because that is a big issue also for women at this time isn't it and can obviously put a lot of pressure not only on your gut but on your pelvic floor absolutely and you know constipation is something that i i i talk to a lot of people about around menopause it's a big you know it's a big problem for a lot of women and with menopause, I think, you know, there are, and I noticed you did a, you did an episode on sleep and you said in the description of, of the podcast episode, you said, you know, not just the generic sleep hygiene suggestions. And I think, you know, <laughs> I, I always try and be really conscious yeah. because I know that, you know, people can Google what, what the suggestions are for constipation or reflex. So I'm trying to give things here that maybe are a little yeah. bit, um, you know, more helpful. But with constipation, there are yeah. the regular uh, things that we talk about, which is make sure that you stay hydrated, try and include enough fiber in your diet, um, stay physically active uh, on a regular basis, because our, you know, our digestive tract is a set of muscles. So we want to keep those moving. Yes. But stress management, yes. again, coming back to the mindfulness piece, Clarissa, I mean, stress mm -hmm. has a big impact on menopause. Um, cortisol levels, which are actually connected a little bit with um, the IBS type of constipation. So we actually have seen higher yes. cortisol levels in those with um, IBS type C, which is the constipation type. Yes. And we know that as women yeah. age, 
so do their um their levels of cortisol rise so we know that there's some kind of connection there and what i would say is that aside from the stress management piece and and the water and then making sure you're getting physically active is just really try if you can to manage that stress because that is going to play a huge impact on your constipation and the one I think some people have uh, have heard of this, but toilet posture. So how you sit on your porcelain throne oh, is yes. very important. Um, and you can it get is, those yeah. stools now, but you can just get a stool that's slightly less than a than I would say a foot high. And you prop basically yeah. you put your feet up on a little stool while you're sitting on the toilet, so that your knees are slightly higher yeah. than your hips, and it basically just yes. changes um, uh, how how that the 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 rectum sort of sits in the in the in the toilet and it basically makes this easier to pass yeah. the stool and that yeah. it put it's puts less pressure on our nerves and on our pelvic floor so that toilet posture uh, is a really quick fix and really important um but the last piece people yeah. often say you know fiber increase it but what i want to say is actually a lot of people increase fiber but they don't then proportionately increase the amount of fluid that they're having and yeah. if you don't yeah. do that, what ends up happening is that the fiber can cause more constipation because it doesn't have the fluid yeah. to help move things through. Yeah. So yes, fiber yes. is important, but make sure that you're drinking enough water or, you know, unsweetened beverages yeah. uh, to make sure that yes. you're, you're yes. helping things to move through. And, and those are some really, really key things. Do you have any questions on that? Is there anything that I've missed maybe that you feel like would be helpful? No, I think that's, no, I love that. I think that's really clear. You know why I think that's really clear is I think too many people just think, oh, eat more, eat more fiber. But you're right. It's, the, it's again, it's a whole system thing, managing stress, supporting the body, hydrating. Um, yeah, there's, it's not just a one fix, quick fix kind of thing. It really is working on what works for you. And, and yeah, hydration, my gosh, people I notice the difference I mean you live in a hot country you drink water all the time I'm guilty of not that I mean I'm not empowered to drink lots of ice cold water when it's minus (laughs) 15 outside no (laughs) you you look at any of you know that and I'm like oh it's the last thing I want to do yeah but you but then you have to find another way whether that's green tea or or fruity or whatever it is you have to do that and drink plenty in ways that are suited to how you also feel that are going to help Absolutely. you hydrate. And there's well. that idea of, of habit stacking. So pairing things that you already do with something that you want to do. So often mm-hmm. I'll say to women um, yes. or anyone that I'm working with in the menopause, I'll say, uh, you know, pair something up. If you're at work, maybe every time you sit down to answer your emails, you take a drink of water or every time you hang up a phone call, take a sip of water and just trying to pair in activities that you want to do with things that you're, you already know that you're going to do in the run of the day. And then those things in turn do become a habit. So uh, I was going to say as well, being Canadian, yes, uh, very, very similar, <laughs> not super um, incentivized to drink water uh, during the wintertime. However, um, we do sweat a lot in the winter because we're wearing heavy coats. We just might not notice it. So those yeah. of you who are living in cold climates, yeah. like Kalarissa said, it doesn't mean you get out of get a jail free card for 
for your um, for your water or fluids intake. So do make sure that you are drinking enough because we just tend to to not realize how much we're actually sweating. And sometimes it's more when we're wearing things like heavy coats and we're walking outside, so on and so forth. So be aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. That That's a great tip. Emily, I love just this, this conversation. Of course, gut health is endless, absolutely. but... But I, I'd love to let you share where people can get hold of you, learn more about the work you do. Absolutely. Well, thanks for giving me that opportunity. So um, for those of you, you know, I, I basically, I help women and people going through the menopause create gut calm through science. Being a registered dietitian, I'm high on, um, on evidence-based uh, care. However, also a little bit of magic as well. So that's the stuff that Clarissa and I were talking about with mindfulness, meditation. Um, that has been a really big part of my gut journey. So uh, if it serves you then then I like to bring that to you as well. Um, you can find me on Instagram at at a underscore gutsy underscore menopause. Um, we also have a, an ebook out. It's called um, uh, Your Guide to Gut Calm for Bloating and Perimenopause, and that's free. So if you like that, that just went up actually yesterday. So you can go to a gutsymenopause.com forward slash ebook. That's all one word. And I've got lots of neat quizzes and things on my site as well. Um, could your gut symptoms be related to perimenopause is a big one um, that often women ask. So we've got a quiz on there. And again, that's all at a gutsymenopause.com. But if you have any questions, you know where to find me. Yeah. That is wonderful. Emily, we'll have all of those in the show notes. And I just want to thank you once again for coming on and sharing so much passion and, and fantastic practical tips that women can implement or anyone going through menopause can implement now to start easing some of these less than nice experiences. Absolutely. And I wish uh, your listeners all the very best. You know, do seek help doesn't have to be me, but do seek help because there is help out there. And, um, and you know, as healthcare professionals, we want to make sure that you're comfortable. So uh, nutritionist, dietitian, um, make sure you check in if you are having those gut symptoms. It's really important. So, uh, so yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Clarissa. It's been such a pleasure. It was my pleasure too. Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? Then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening and see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.